Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Eagles face a new threat. A new study based on years of samples finds nearly half of the birds suffer from lead poisoning. Most often it's from ingesting other animals with fragments of lead bullets or fishing tackle. Eagles and their feathers are both sacred for many tribes. We'll get a view of their cultural importance and what's being done to keep the animals safe. We'll have that and more coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. First Lady Jill Biden was greeted by members of the Gila River Indian Community Monday during a stop in Phoenix. The First Lady will visit the Tohono O'odham Nation during a stop in Tucson on Tuesday. Her trip to Arizona is to promote President Biden's policy priorities, which were highlighted in his State of the Union address. President Biden mentioned tribes in his speech last week when talking about providing high-speed internet for every American. A number of issues he touched on in the address are priorities for tribes, from job creation to strengthening the Violence Against Women Act. President Jonathan Nez of the Navajo Nation says he was pleased to hear President Biden's message. Well, he did mention Indian country uh, in his speech. That was encouraging. Uh, we, I thought he did an excellent job on the delivery of his uh, address. Uh, very inspiring towards the end there. I know the attention is on Ukraine, uh, what's happening there. Uh, Navajo Nation uh, is uh, standing with the citizens of Ukraine uh, as well. We, we took a position there to make sure that, um, you know, we pray for our brothers and sisters there in uh, Ukraine and, uh, you know, protecting uh, their sovereign ability to govern. Nez says the Navajo Nation is also exploring its investments to see if there are any ties to Russia. And we're even looking into our investments. Are there any investments uh, uh, from the Russian government or anything Russian so that we can reevaluate some of our relations with, uh, uh, with Russia, the government, and Putin? So I think uh, other tribes are going to be doing that. I know states are uh, not purchasing uh, Russian goods, uh, even boycotting some of those. Uh, I think we also need to look at uh, the bigger picture, uh, the investments, international investments, you know, reevaluating our portfolio. And right now I'm just uh, getting a rundown on anything associated with the Russian government and we gotta cut our ties. And I think uh, we gotta do that in Indian country as well. The First Lady marked International Women's Day Tuesday honoring women around the world and recognizing women in the Ukraine. The First Lady will also take part in a Women's History Month event following her tribal visit. A group of Seneca women, mothers of the nation, are gathering on the Allegheny Territory in New York on International Women's Day to send a message of support to mothers in the Ukraine. In a statement, the Seneca women say they're paying tribute to the Ukrainian people as they struggle with Russian military occupation, aggression, and forced removal. The Seneca women point to their own history and ancestors who faced genocide and the invasion of lands by American forces. The mothers of the nation say they're conveying their message of support to the Ukraine and wishing them strength to overcome, thrive, and emerge stronger amid current conditions. 
The Seneca Mothers of the Nation is a group of Seneca women organized under the Seneca Constitution. The House Natural Resources Committee is examining the history of tribal co-management of federal lands. The committee hearing, which convened Tuesday morning, is said to be the first time in congressional history to examine tribal land dispossession enacted by the federal government and its impact on management practices. The hearing is exploring the historical and legal support for tribal co-management, including the use of traditional knowledge. Tribal leaders, directors of Native organizations, and the director of the National Park Service are among witnesses. The Park Service director, Charles Chuck Sams, made history in December when he was sworn in as the first tribal citizen to lead the agency. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support from AmeriCorps. Members who serve in VISTA fight against poverty while earning money for college and gaining skills. Rewarding service opportunities are available in communities across America. Info at americorps.gov VISTA. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Eagles have a storied past in this country that includes spending a couple of decades on the endangered species list. They largely recovered from that, but now bald eagles and golden eagles face a new threat. Researchers just published a study in the journal Science that examined and measured the levels of lead in eagles. Out of hundreds of eagle specimens from 36 states, they found that almost half of the predatory birds have what they define as acute lead poisoning. They also looked at the source and found that lead ammunition is the main problem. Fragments from lead bullets litter the environment and contaminate eagles that also hunt and scavenge animals. Regulations ban lead-based ammunition in some states and tribes like Menominee and the Lower Brule Sioux Tribe. Coming up, we'll talk more about the findings in the recent study on eagles and learn what tribes are doing to keep lead out of the environment. We'd also like to hear from you. Does your tribe ban lead shot? If you're a hunter, what do you think about having to use non-lead ammo? Give us a call. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Polson, Montana is Carrie Enius. She's the program manager for the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes Wildlife Management Program. She's also a member of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes. Welcome to Native America Calling, Carrie. Hello and good morning. And joining us from Missoula, Montana is Daniel Bird. He's a PhD student in the wildlife biology program at the University of Montana, W.A. Frankie College of Forestry and Conservation, and he's Kiwa Pueblo. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hello, everyone, and good morning. Thank you for having me. Carrie. Earlier, we mentioned some of these concerning facts about this new research. So 
I want to ask you first, how serious is this this, lead poisoning among birds of prey and other wildlife? You know, it is definitely something that we uh, are able to see the effects of here, even on our reservation. Um, We do get calls quite often of, um, you know, injured or um, eagles that are, or maybe eagles that are on the ground, lethargic, acting funny, um, you know, don't kind of react as you approach. And so, you know, we, when we're able to collect those animals and get them to rehabilitators, you know, lead poisoning is one of the things that they test for. And, you know, we do have quite a few birds each year called eagles that, that come back having had lead poisoning. Now, you mentioned eagles acting lethargically. Uh, what are some other signs or symptoms of acute lead poisoning in eagles and even other types of wildlife? Uh, so you do have that, you know, they're, they're, they, um, they kind of start to lose mobility in their kind of feet, their, their appendages. They start to kind of become, um, becomes more and more difficult for them to, to walk, to especially fly. And so you do start to see them downed more often. Um, they may walk away from you a little bit if they're still able to, but, um, you know, one of the big kind of decisive or, Um, Most common um, symptoms that you see is that lethargy um, coupled with kind of low motor skills, and then they eventually do um, kind of just starve due to that lack of being able to um, find food. Um, Wow. Okay. And a a big factor here at work is, is lead ammunition that hunters use? That's correct. Um, so here on the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes on Flathead Indian Reservation, our upland game and waterfowl um, bird hunting, in our regulations, it is illegal to use lead shot. So we do, you know, require lead alternatives um, for for hunting on the reservation for upland game birds. Um, and a, a big part of that is, you know, that, that lead that's available out on the landscape, um, you know, that could be picked up by bald eagles or other um, carnivores and and kind of just start to, to toxify um, the, in that system. Uh, we also, you know, worry about um, ducks or other swans, geese, things that are potentially picking up the lead shot from the bottom of those wetlands. Um, we're working with our anglers to uh, reduce the amount of lead um, uh, kind of weights and things. Um, and so we're trying to, to move to alternative um, lead sources for that and then um, recommend for our big game hunters to also transition into using some of those lead alternative shots just so that there isn't um, that residual lead on the landscape, but that also that um, just human consumption, that, that there isn't, um, you know, any, any effects or um, possibility for, for us, our members to consume um, lead through that meat as well. So you mentioned uh, restrictions on lead-based fishing gear, and I know how beautiful Flat Lake, Flathead Lake is up where you are, and I imagine a lot of eagles dive for fish. So I'm glad to hear that that fishing gear is also being being addressed. But I'm curious, uh, it seems like this would be tough to enforce. All those anglers out there on the lake, a lot of hunters, how exactly do you regulate the, the, the use of non-lead ammunition? Yeah, so it's something that is in our um, waterfowl and upland bird 
um, regulations. And so, you know, it, it's clearly stated when folks pick up, you know, our waterfowl regulations to do some hunting, um, you know, it's explicit that it is illegal to use um, lead-based shot. And so our um, game wardens and other, you know, state um, fish and game wardens or tribal and state game wardens that are out there kind of monitoring um, throughout the hunting season, they do check um, and, and are very uh, diligent about checking um, hunters' ammunition. Well, thanks for that background, Carrie. And also joining us on the show today, we have Dr. Vince Slaby. He's in Bozeman, Montana, and he's a research wildlife biologist. Vince, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, Vince, I understand this is your research, the, these facts that we cited earlier with regard to increased levels of, of lead poisoning among birds and other types of wildlife. Is this a dramatic increase in lead poisoning that we're seeing compared to years past? So the, the fun, what our research showed was that almost 50% of bald and golden eagles showed signs of uh, multiple multiple lead exposures throughout their life. And we found that pattern at a continental scale. And so I guess the first part of your, your question, what I'll say is, is that we didn't really have an idea of what the lead poisoning rates were for bald and golden eagles at a continental scale. Now, that being said, there have been rates, very high rates of, of both bald and golden eagles shown in many regional studies throughout the country, uh, you know, on the West Coast, um, in the Appalachian Mountains, and in the Intermountain West, uh, for, and, and in the Midwest uh, for previous studies. And so these rates of lead poisoning in birds um, – it's it's something that we've been seeing uh, for for many years now. Okay, so these eagle specimens that you used for the study, how were those collected? So we had multiple collaborators throughout the country, uh, and they and they ranged from uh, folks up in Alaska to Florida, from Maine, uh, and out to California, and we had. Uh, one sample that we had collected from multiple collaborators was blood. And these samples were collected from, from birds that were captured uh, for multiple different research projects. So these birds are captured, they're banded, uh, a, a blood sample is taken, and then they are released uh, uh, alive and well back into the wild. Now, other samples were collected from dead birds. So we had feather, liver, and femur samples that were collected from dead birds. Now, there are Bald eagles and golden eagles, when they show up dead on the landscape, there are laws that protect them. And so what happens with them is uh, state and federal uh, folks are called when a dead eagle is found, and that eagle will end up in a freezer at uh, a, a state office or a federal office or a rehabilitation facility. And what we did was coordinate with those different offices around the country and have those specimens then sent to our lab in Boise, Idaho, where we did tissue harvest, where we were able to collect femur, uh, liver, and, and feather. And so we had these collaborators sending in the blood samples, and then we were able to collect those additional samples from these birds that had been found dead on the landscape. We prepared those samples uh, in the laboratory, and then we were able to send those in uh, for diagnostic testing uh, to be able to determine the lead concentrations in all of those samples. Now, Vince, I know... Um 
a couple of decades ago, the eagle populations were really suffering, and it, a lot of it had to do with pesticides that are used uh, that affected eagle eggs. And I'm curious, does lead affect egg development or growth in, in younger birds as well? You know, that is a great question. So we do know that lead can affect basically every single system of an eagle's body. So we know it can affect their, their respiratory system, their circulatory system, their digestive system. And there is some evidence to suggest that it does also uh, affect their reproductive system. There are a few other species of birds that have shown that uh, it, lead it interferes with, with egg development. And it, it can interfere with a lot of different processes in the body that require um, essential nutrients and require a lot of uh, energy. So in the case of lead, lead is, as a contaminant, one of the really unfortunate things that it does inside of the body is that it, the body can think that it's actually an essential nutrient. So in a way, lead is disguising itself as calcium. So if you think about in the time of when, when a, prior to a bird laying eggs, like an eagle before it lays eggs, it requires a ton of calcium to, 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 for egg development. And mm -hmm. so while there are, no where there are no specific research projects that demonstrate this effect um, on eagles to their reproductive system, we do have some um, evidence from other birds and other research studies that suggest that it does affect um, their ability to reproduce. Well, folks, do you have a comment or question for today's show? If so, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Native America Calling, and we'll be back right after this short break. The fate of the Indian Child Welfare Act, the jurisdiction of tribal courts, and tribes' ability to operate gaming against state laws are all arguments headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll get a rundown of the importance of these cases and the legal landscape they face. That's coming up on the next Native America Calling. How mitakui piki nihai kash wagustawaki hello wakhajaki wapheawa wichaki sarapoleon petuki visit insurekidsnow.gov ilyao nislamas aphayo 1877 Welcome back. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're talking about lead poisoning and wildlife. Is your tribe working to reduce the amount of lead ammunition used in hunting? If you're a hunter, have you stopped using lead ammo? We want to know, and please join a conversation. Call 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Before we went to break, we were talking with Dr. Vince Slaby, and he was sharing some of the findings of his research that has discovered uh, alarming rates of lead poisoning in eagles and other birds of prey. And Vince, I want to ask you, are there other sources of lead that's harming these eagles in addition to other types of wildlife, or is it primarily the ammunition that we need to worry about? As I joined the conversation, I heard, we were, I heard uh, you and another guest talking about uh, fishing equipment. And this is another source of, of lead um, 
in the environment that could be potentially harming eagles at some level. Now, I, there has been some research that suggests that the amount of lead uh, being, from fishing equipment affecting bald eagles is not as high as the amount of lead that's available um, in carcasses and gut piles on the landscape of animals that have been shot. And so that is one other source. Um, in general, the, the feeding ecology of eagles, the way that it lines up with their, their specific lead exposure, um, really does suggest that this, this, this uh, scavenging of carcasses and gut piles is the primary source. Um, there, there could be a few other sources of, of, of exposure. For instance, there has been a few um, documentations of bald eagles that are not in good health scavenging at garbage dumps. So if you think about garbage dumps and the amount of uh, trash and the potential, the potential contaminants available in that garbage dump, that could potentially be a very, very um, not um, – it, it's a source that could happen in one bird out of a, a million or 1,000 birds. And so it's not something we think is happening very often. Um, we've looked at other sources of lead that could be affecting – um, eagles, and the bottom line is that the level of poisoning that we're seeing in these birds suggests that they are actually eating lead. They're eating lead fragments. They are not getting this level of poisoning by eating other animals that ate lead, if that makes sense. So if another animal eats lead and, and, that, and that contaminant um, accumulates in their tissue, and then another bird eats it or another animal eats it, lead isn't passing through the system in that way, bioaccumulating like other contaminants do. And so what we okay. do know is that these eagles are actually eating lead. So it's much more harmful if they're directly ingesting the lead as opposed to receiving it from the carcass of an animal that they're eating, right? Exactly, as, as opposed to it uh, accumulating in the tissue of another animal. Okay, that's correct. gotcha. Okay. Well, thanks, Vince. And we have a caller on the line, Frank. He is listening on KUNM in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Frank, you're on Native America Calling. Hey, thank you all both very, very much. Um, I am not Native, but I love eagles, and I have good friends who are Eagle Clan at Hopi. So I'm very interested in this, and thank you so much, Doctor, for the work you're doing. My question is, can the eagles be healed? Can the lead somehow be removed or somehow minimized if you take the eagle, find it before it's literally dying, and get it for treatment? And is there any way for them to recover? Okay. Well, I'm thinking, Carrie, would you like to respond to that question regarding treating sick eagles from, from Frank and Santa Fe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the rehabilitators that we work with, that we bring our injured eagles to, um, there is a treatment that they can um, start the birds on, and the success rate on that, um, you know, isn't 100%. You know, a lot of times if birds have a high enough toxicity um, level in their system when you bring them in, you know, there's not a lot that they can do for them at that point, but that there have been, you know, some successes with birds that we've brought in with lead poisoning that have been successfully rehabilitated out of their system. 
Well, thank you, Carrie. Let's go ahead and bring our third guest into the conversation. Again, his name is Daniel Bird. He's a PhD student in the Wildlife Biology Program at the University of Montana. And Daniel, we're talking about these alarming um, issues with lead poisoning amongst uh, birds of prey and other types of wildlife. So I'm curious, um, working in tribal wildlife management, what are some efforts currently ongoing to address this need to clean up lead in the environment and also protecting these animals in Indian country? Yeah, um, I guess the one that I'm most familiar with is there on the Flathead Reservation because I'm nearby at the University of Montana and I do recreate on the reservation, hunt uh, upland game like pheasants and um, and I have seen those uh, steel shot requirements and do go to the store and search for steel shot only and do not use lead at all when hunting. And so, yeah, as a, as an individual or as a hunter, um, I, I go by those new rules and regulations and understand the importance of those. So, yeah. Well, Daniel, you mentioned being a hunter and I'm, interested to know what are their efforts to change the ammunition hunters are using uh, on a broader scale than just individual tribes or states what's kind of being done there at the national level to address the issue with lead-based ammo yeah i'm not too familiar with uh, national regulations um yeah i'm just not familiar i'm sorry okay well, I'm, I'm curious, though, as a hunter, because, um, you know, like, I I know, like, where I live, sometimes lead ammo is quite a bit cheaper than copper and some of the other alloys that are used in those types of bullets. And, and that's, <laughs> sometimes I'll buy lead ammo because of that. And I also know some, some people that just swear lead bullets are more accurate, you know, because that softness, the, they travel through the barrel of the gun more smoothly. Uh, any thoughts on that as a hunter yourself uh, with regards to the pros and cons of, of lead ammo versus non-lead ammo? Yeah, yeah, I understand that um, lead ammo may be uh, more cost efficient if he, to the general hunter and may cost a lot less than, you know, searching for steel shots. And I think um, more recently, steel shot ammo or just ammo in general have been very difficult to find. But... Um, when I was, you know, searching for ammo during the hunting season, I would regularly check different stores and until I found steel shot and then, um, then go out and, and hunt. And then also I have a dog with me and I think, um, having a dog is, is, has made hunting efficient and losing game has been less of an issue with a dog and rather than a hunter by, by themselves, you know, wounding an animal and then searching for that animal, a dog makes that um, a little bit easier, <laughs> especially when <laughs> a duck or a bird falls in the water and you can't really jump in the river and, and chase it down, but the dog can. So that's um, extremely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It just keeps that, that dead animal out of the environment and from contaminating or poisoning other, other wildlife. Daniel, you know, in addition to lead poisoning, what are some other risks to eagles that exist? Um, I think, you know, Carrie and and the researcher has explained some of those risks, and it's 
you you know you're using lead shot and you're and you're hunting in an area where it's not um required to use steel shot then you may you know wound an animal and that animal runs off and you cannot find it and then it um ends up being there in the environment um potentially an eagle finds that carcass and is able to is able to um ingest that that lead and so that's I think some of the the biggest risks um and so I think as a hunter um conservation minded hunter it'd be best to you know use still shot and and um understand those risks of using lead okay Thank you, Daniel. Vince, I want to ask you to, to chime in as well with regard to the use of, of lead-based versus lead-alternative ammunition. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of um, changing the type of ammunition that hunters are using? Sure. I'm also a hunter, and, and I, I was able to, to switch to non-lead ammo uh, for, for up for uh, big game hunting several years ago. And, and you know, I am not a ammunition expert or, or ballistics expert but i'll tell you what i've still been able to harvest animals and my freezer still ends up having uh, meat in it uh, throughout the, the last several years i've been doing donlet ammo and what i've seen like nationally is there have been several programs that have shown that when this this uh, information when it is passed along to hunters there's a very high rate of voluntary switch of of from lead to non-lead ammunition. You know, <clears throat> as Daniel mentioned, that hunters are conservationists. And when they are presented with a, a problem and they are presented with something that they see is, is going wrong, and, and, and for the most part, hunters are very much unaware of this issue of lead fragmenting to the, to, to the extent that it is. And it's being made available to these scavenging animals. And so when, when hunters are presented with this, with this option to switch, a lot of them do it. And a lot of them would much rather leave a clean gut pile for eagles and other scavengers. And, and, and that's been the pattern I've, I've seen uh, in several different uh, circumstances throughout the country. There's been some research that shows this as well. In Arizona, for instance, in the range of the California condor, the Peregrine Fund has been encouraging the voluntary use of non-lead ammo for uh, 15 years maybe or, or more, and they've shown an 80 to 88% participation rate of hunters voluntarily using non-lead ammo. And so from that perspective, hunters are the solution to this problem. Okay, interesting information. We have another caller on the line. Her name is Anne, listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Anne, you are on Native America Calling. Hi, thank you for having this program. I absolutely love the American bald eagle. I've been involved in endangered species issues since 1970. Um, given that it's not, it may not be entirely possible to stop the use of lead, uh, lead bullets, um, I'm wondering how realistic, how feasible it would be to have periodic cleanups in areas that you know are he where there's a lot of hunting or a lot of target practice. Um, is that something that um, Native peoples are doing on their reservations and pueblos? Thanks for taking my call. Well, Ann, thanks for calling in. And Carrie, comments on that, um, just cleaning up uh, extra just bullets that are laying out there on the ground, things like that, cleanup efforts. Can you talk about that? 
Absolutely. So one thing, you know, that is another kind of concern um, along those lines that we have here is with um, chronic wasting disease, CWD. And so we do kind of uh, request or ask that our hunters, you know, not transport um, animal carcasses and kind of those, those piles. Um, or if they do, that they would dispose of them in a transfer station, um, somewhere where it's it's an enclosed area, you know, that doesn't have um, access to to predators, and so that that you know that kind of helps remove some of that uh, exposure on the landscape. But we also want to kind of couple that with with the importance of not transporting you know carcasses as much as possible. Um, in order to reduce the the potential for the spread of chronic wasting disease. Okay, um, Carrie, I, I I'm going to ask you this, or maybe if you don't feel comfortable, maybe Vince would be better at at answering this question. I'm not quite sure, but at any rate, I'm I'm thinking about like folks like pow dancers who wear eagle feathers on their outfits, and you know this this lead it gets into feathers, it gets into body parts, so there could be lead in those feathers, right? Absolutely. Yes. So is that something people should be concerned about? Vince, I hear you jump. Is that something people should be concerned about? I'll jump in and say, I I don't really think so. So what we're concerned about with lead is if, if we're ingesting it. So if we're ingesting lead to the point that it's causing poisoning, uh, another common pathway is, is if you're very close to some uh, facility, like a, like a coal burning power plant that is, that is, that is that lead is, is an airborne byproduct of. So if you're breathing in a lot of lead, of, of lead inhalation um, or in, ingestion, in the case of uh, feathers used for for Native American rituals and dancing, you know these feathers could have some lead inside of them, but it's not going to be a dangerous amount, I, I would think, to worry about uh, the safety of the people um, that are that are that are wearing these feathers and using them for. For, for dancing. However, I will I will I will present the fact that I am a bird biologist and not a, a, a specialist of, of lead poisoning in humans. Okay, Carrie, you want to chime in on that as well, or do you think folks are safe with their with their uh, double bustles and whatnot in Indian country? Yeah, I was um, going to just mirror a lot, um, you know, of what what has been said. We do, you know, just. You know, because lead can be absorbed through the feathers, um, that when people are using them to create regalia for for dancing and other ceremonies, you know, that it is something that we just let people know that there's a potential, you know, for lead to be in those feathers, but that, yeah, that, you know, the... um, the exposure rate of, you know, people from those feathers is, you know, very minimal and, you know... um, but just we let people know as a disclaimer that, you know, some there's a potential for lead to be in those feathers, but that it's not a huge, um, you know, risk at this point. Okay. So I think a lot of our listeners just breathed a big sigh of relief for those of you that are powwow dancers that have eagle feathers on outfits or other Native folks that use eagles, legal feathers for ceremonial purposes. It doesn't sound like there's anything to worry about with regard to lead poisoning. So that is definitely a big relief. Carrie, about how long do eagles usually live? Um, That I am not sure. (laughs) Um, You know, we do have a 
pretty healthy population of eagles here on the um, Flathead Indian Reservation. And so we do each year have uh, multiple um, bald eagle surveys that we fly um, to kind of monitor our populations, um, you know, throughout the winter, but then also during their nesting um, seasons to kind of get a, a, a rate of what their nesting success has been. And, uh, you know, we do, um, you know, monitor them closely and, uh, yeah, sorry, I kind of forgot the question. <laughs> oh, just about how long they usually live. I, I think I read somewhere around 20 years, give or take, if, a, if an eagle is, is healthy. Folks, you are listening to Native America Calling, and we would love to hear from you today. Hunters. Um, ecologists, uh, folks that are interested in eagles and, and wildlife in your community, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be back right after this short break. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strongheart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Stronghearts Native Helpline. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about lead poisoning and eagles today. There's still time to join the conversation. How important are these majestic birds of prey to you and your community? If you're a hunter, what metals is your ammunition made from? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also, of course, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's bring Daniel Bird back into the conversation. Daniel, can you talk a little bit about the importance of wildlife research, similar to what Vince has undertaken with regard to these lead poisoning studies on eagles and other birds of prey? Yes. Yes, thank you. Um, I think conducting research and just wildlife management in general for tribes is very important. Um, you know, going up on the reservation, I... Um, you know, we grow up with these understandings of uh, our interactions with natural resources like wildlife and, and has helped shape our community and and my worldviews. Um, and so that's sort of the reasons why I think it's important for us to, to, to do that. And as original stewards of the land, I think it's um, continued to be our responsibility. And I think a lot of indigenous folks understand that and and so for me personally i've um, made it my goals to uh to mentor tribal youth and serve as a resource for other tribal communities in in the realm of natural resources and and wildlife management and so you know my career goals are to help to increase native american representation in stem fields at the university tri state tribal and federal levels including the field of wildlife biology and become a wildlife biologist for tribal communities including my own so we can sustainably manage natural resources to maintain our unique cultures languages and indigenous ways of living and so my dissertation dissertation research as a PhD student here at the University of Montana will help me accomplish these goals as we partner with the Blackfeet Nation in conducting an elk study um, 
to better understand elk movement, habitat use, and potential barriers to their migrations. More specifically, they are concerned with uh, bison fencing uh, within the reservation that's on um, land that's not owned by the tribe, but a private landowner, but it's within the reservation. And so those are those types of concerns across um, native country and um, of course, like chronic wasting disease and, you know, just general wildlife management and, and fisheries management. Well, then you mentioned uh, working with youth and, and fostering this interest amongst Native people in tribal wildlife management. So where can our listeners go to learn more about these issues and topics? Yeah, that's um, that's a good one. I think you can reach out to your, you know, your local tribal natural resource department. Um, and if your tribe doesn't have one, then maybe some neighboring tribes have, you know, a natural resource department or wildlife management program. And then also the, the Native American Fish and Wildlife Society is a good resource as well. Um, the Native People's Wildlife Management Working Group of the Wildlife Society is another one. Um, those are some of the others that just come out from the top of my head as <laughs> we're on the phone sure. right here. Daniel, do you think there are enough Native wildlife conservation students like yourself out there? Uh, no, <laughs> there's never enough. There's never enough um, Native American representation in STEM fields at any level. And um, I think it's important for us to uh, foster their growth and help uh, Native youth um, you know, find their passion within natural resources because I feel like we're, we are all passionate about it and it's um, difficult for students to find that path and, and find mentors and, and, um, you know, navigating academia or, you know, some of those professions. Sure. Sure. Um, Vince, I want to ask you, you know, a few years ago, I read about this remarkable recovery of the bald eagle population in the U.S. Can you talk about that? Sure. A, a recent study, a recent report showed that bald eagle populations are about, you know, somewhere around 300,000 individuals right now in the, in the U.S. And, and what we've seen over the last several years is sometimes a, a 10% growth of that population each year. And so it, it's a very robust population. It's growing uh, rapidly in a lot of ways. And you know, what my research showed was that population growth rates of bald eagles are being suppressed by 4% annually by lead poisoning. So what that is suggesting is that bald eagle populations could be growing even faster. Now, in the case of the golden eagle, golden eagle populations, for instance, in the Air Mountain West are estimated to be about 30,000 individuals. So you're looking at about one-tenth the size of the population. Now, golden eagle populations have not been growing. Their populations are considered to be stable at best. So they're not growing and they're not declining. Now, in the case of golden eagles, our research shows that lead poisoning is having a 1% uh, effect or suppression to their population growth rates. Now, in the case of a stable population of, of, of birds, as the golden eagle is right now, as their population chose to be, when you see any, at any effect at all on population growth rates, it could be the difference between a stable population and a declining population. 
Okay, so although lead exposure is having a greater impact on the growth rate of bald eagles as opposed to golden eagles, you mentioned a 4% and 1% drop respectively, because the bald eagle population is growing and the golden eagle population is stagnant, that 1% drop could mean a much more significant decline, correct? Absolutely. Okay, okay. So could, I'm, I'm curious, it, why- it, it could be more of a concern for sure, yes. Okay, so why isn't the golden eagle population thriving in the way that the bald eagle population is? Well, bald eagle, uh, excuse me, golden eagle populations, uh, you know, they face a lot of threats. There are a lot of uh, human-caused mortalities associated with golden eagles. You have uh, collisions, you know, collisions with both vehicles and uh, things like wind turbines. You have uh, the, one of the highest uh, cases of, of, of being killed or golden eagles being killed is they're actually just being shot. So uh, that, the model showed that a lot of eagles um, are being shot. A lot of eagles are, are colliding with, with vehicles, and a lot of eagles are also being poisoned. So that's another, you know, not only lead poisoning, but there's anticoagulant rodenticides and there's other threats. And so if you think about all of these different threats that, that golden eagles are facing, and if you think about any, num any one of those threats, increasing as we move forward in history and as we move forward with with more uh, human development and potentially more uh, wind development and things like that, then we need to be concerned about every single one of these causes of death and looking into ways to reduce those mortalities. Vince, what about hawks, ospreys, owls, other birds of prey? Any indication how they're being affected? Sure. So there's a, a handful of other uh, raptor species uh, that are also uh, facultative scavengers. So eagles are the prime example of the facultative scavengers. They, you know, during the breeding season, they're focused on live prey. The bald eagles are eating fish. The golden eagles are eating, are eating uh, squirrels and rabbits. And then as they move into the winter months, that live prey becomes less abundant. And so they start scavenging a lot more. Now, many hawk species do this as well. You have red-tailed hawks that will scavenge during the winter months. You have you know, uh, rough-legged hawks uh, that will scavenge during the winter months. Now, you mentioned osprey. Osprey is an obligate piscivore. So basically what that means is that osprey eat fish 99% of the time year-round. And so they're more susceptible to contaminants associated with fish. And we did talk a little bit about, you know, fish, lost fishing equipment can end up in fish. And so they are, uh, you know, potentially exposed at a, you know, at a, at a slower rate to lead poisoning by those incidental times when fish can contain uh, fishing equipment. And so owls have also been shown to scavenge, but there hasn't been a lot of studies that show a lot of uh, lead poisoning in, in, in those birds. Really helpful to know. Thank you, Vince. Carrie, I want to ask you uh, on, on a more personal level, community focused, how important are eagles there amongst your Confederated Salish and Kootenai people? They are very important. So they do symbolize, you know, um, a lot of our kind of cultural and traditional um, community. And so we do work pretty closely with both our Salish and Kootenai culture committees on, um, you know, in Eagle, uh, in matters with Bald Eagle. Um, so we do um, currently, uh, we've requested and got a permit um, to retain the Eagle, um, Eagles for our 
CSKT members on the Flathead Indian Reservation. And so that is something that we've worked out with the Fish and Wildlife Service that, you know, when we do have an eagle that has come up um, that, you know, is cleared, uh, you know, through um, both our tribal and Fish and Wildlife Service investigation that, you know, it can be that eagle um, sent or distributed to our culture committees that, you know, those parts then can be distributed to our um, tribal members because there is, you know, a really strong tie to sense of place. And so birds and animals that come from our area, you know, have a higher weight or importance to our tribal members culturally than let's say a bald eagle from, you know, a different part of the country. And so, you know, that is um, something that, you know, we are really excited about that has just kind of been initiated and gotten going within our program. And so we're excited to see how that eagle retention program develops and continues into the future. Carrie, do you think uh, your tribal members understand the importance of working to to help eagles? Yes, I know I definitely um, believe that. And because it is, you know, something that we do have, you know, a pretty good um, uh, presence and we try to ex express that um, information uh, to our public and tribal members, you know, as, as efficiently and as often as possible. And so, you know, we're always open to receive questions, you know, especially with, with the, uh, you know, non-toxic um, shots, you know, we do have some um, tables, you know, that people have put together for ballistics that talk about, you know, the um, most effective, you know, weights or different, you know, shots so, so that hunters, you know, can confidently make that uh, transition from, you know, um, lead to non-lead shots. Carrie, what are you observing in terms of just overall eagle population numbers and, and their health there at Salish Kootenai? Yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we do do yearly eagle flights. And so, you know, we have over time um, started to see an increase in our bald eagle population. And so that has been really hopeful. Um, you know, the last few years, we have seen some of these bigger windstorms knock down some of our older long-term use eagle nests. But, you know, we have also put in an effort and seen birds creating nests, you know, in surrounding areas. And so, you know, we do, you know, believe that our eagle population is moving in a positive trajectory. And so it's been really cool to document and kind of monitor that over the years. Now, are you folks working with other tribes that are interested in strengthening their wildlife populations? You know, we do. Uh, you know, we are in, you know, communications with other, you know, kind of tribes in Montana. And, uh, you know, we work collaboratively with them and also other agencies um, in our region to help, you know, not only bald eagle, but other wildlife populations, you know, grizzly bears, elk, um, you know, a lot of big game uh you know, species that are, you know, not, that are transboundary, you know, because wildlife don't know the boundaries, legal boundary lines that we do. And so we do work really closely and collaboratively with other agencies um, in our region to make sure that we're doing on a larger landscape level, the best for our wildlife as we possibly can. Now, Vince, earlier you mentioned uh, wind turbines as being another risk factor for large birds of prey. Um, what do we need to understand about the the impact of wind turbines on vulnerable populations, such as some of these birds of prey? 
Sure. So uh, there's a lot of research going on uh, with this, this specific topic, and I, I, I will admit I'm not part of that research. But what's important to understand is that it, it, there are areas that eagles can be killed in high numbers uh, from wind turbines. And the important thing, I think, moving forward is the placement of those wind farms. You know, uh, that, that's been the, one of the prime identifiers of, of correlation between wind turbines and, and eagle mortality is the fact that they were put in the wrong place, and the wrong place being prime eagle habitat or a, a habitat containing lots of prey for eagles. And so I think moving forward, I think that the federal government, I think that um, uh, tribal nations, I think that anyone considering, you know, having wind farms being a part of the landscape, you know, that due diligence needs to happen where those, those studies need to happen prior to the wind farm being built and, and identifying just how important that area is to uh, large birds such as golden eagles and then be able to try and predict that uh, potential uh, collision risk to those birds. Well, listeners, once again, we have reached the end of the hour and another fascinating conversation. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Vince Slaby, Carrie Enius, and Daniel Bird for enlightening us on challenges facing the U.S. eagle population and lead poisoning in wildlife. Please join us tomorrow for another live show and a discussion about current native issues up for debate in the Supreme Court. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to the one, the only Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org.
Support by Roswell Park, who know tribal communities face persistent challenges in health equity, such as cancer and higher death rates. The Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center is dedicated to advancing cancer research that will lead to translatable science, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations worldwide. Are you at high risk for cancer? A no-charge online assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.